Hey, welcome to the Plant Yourself Podcast. I'm your host, Howard Jacobson. Before we get to today's show, a quick reminder that this podcast is free for everyone and supported by those who can afford it. So uh, if you have found this podcast a useful companion during 2020, and you'd like to see it continue through 2021, I would invite you to go to plantyourself.com slash gift. If you are in a position where you have the means to support something that means something to you and hopefully uh, you think is doing good in the world. You can use PayPal or Patreon. You can make a one-time contribution or become an ongoing sustaining patron of the show. And if funds are too tight for you to show your appreciation in a monetary sense, you can still leave a review of the Plant Yourself podcast on whatever platform you listen to podcasts. That also helps us a great deal. All right, on to today's episode. This is the Plant Yourself podcast. I'm Howard Jacobson of plantyourself.com and wellstarthealth.com. This podcast is part of my mission to help you live a productive and procrastination-free life. Today's guest, Hilary Rettig, is both an activist and a productivity expert, which are two vocations that don't seem to have much in common at first glance. But as soon as I started reading two of her books, The Lifelong Activist and The Seven Secrets of the Prolific, I got the connection. Hillary believes that unproductive would-be activists are disempowered activists, and the world needs empowered activists, because this is a world that systematically tries to disempower anyone who challenges its structures of power and privilege. And so the last thing we need is to get in our own way when we stand up to injustice, whether it's around racial, economic, environmental, animal rights, sexual identity or orientation, class, anywhere we see a problem in the world, we need to be firing on all cylinders. So I hope you don't think I'm being self-indulgent in this episode, but I really looked at it as a kind of private personal therapy session, and I hope that you, by extension, get a lot out of it as well. My big takeaway from the conversation was a kind of shocking self-diagnosis of perfectionism, I thought that while I deal with lots of unhelpful traits in myself, perfectionism was not one of them. But I really saw myself in her description of the self-punishing procrastinator whose violent self-talk actually fuels further procrastination. It was really an eye-opener for me. So we also talked about what Reddit calls the disempowerment cascade, which would make a terrible six-flag ride, by the way, and how we can short-circuit it and get back on track. And we talked also about practical tactics. As much as we discussed philosophy and emotional healing, we also talked about things like a kitchen timer and unplugging from the internet to help us manage our time better and get back on track. I have a feeling that this episode will go down as one of the most universally useful conversations I've ever shared, possibly right up there with Chris Voss's um, interview about negotiation. But uh, you'll let me know and see if you agree. Today's announcements are quite brief. First of all, WellStart Health has started a new cohort this week. WellStart Health launched a new cohort of our 12-week on-ramp to health. And if you're listening to this on Tuesday the 22nd or Wednesday the 23rd, the day and day after the release of the podcast, you still, if you hurry, have a chance to get in on this run of the program. So just go to wellstarthealth.com slash apply 
fill out the information and we'll let you know if you're a good fit and then we can get you caught up so that you can hit the ground running with the program. Second thing, if you would like to become a WellStart Health certified health coach, we will be starting a new cohort of WellStart Health Coach training in March 2019. And we are going to fill that up early. So by mid-February, all the slots will be filled. You can find out all about it and sign up for an enrollment interview at wellstartcoach.com. And finally, Josh Lajani has been getting a lot of media attention for our book, Sick to Fit. He was on the Hallmark Channel's Home and Family show last week, as well as on a morning segment on KTLA in Los Angeles. He was extremely inspiring in both of those. In fact, the Hallmark appearance is the reason we started another cohort of Wellstart Health, because there were so many people who listened to him for just seven minutes and decided that they had to follow him and turn their lives around. You can see these media clips and lots more at the Wellstart Health Facebook page. All right, that's enough about that. Let's get to our conversation about productivity and procrastination. Without further ado, Hillary Reddick, welcome to the Plant Yourself podcast. Thank you, Howard. I'm really happy to be here. So I was, you know, looking forward to interviewing you um, on various topics. And then I, I jumped into the book, The Lifelong Activist, uh, subtitled How to Change the World Without Losing Your Way. And I realized that this call is essentially going to be a therapy session for me. <laughs> okay. So there's so much in here where, you know, I don't, I don't know, your editor must have taken it out, but you had like, you should have put like, comma, Howard, comma, in all these different sentences. <laughs> so this this really, really spoke to me. But before before we get into it, this, why don't we just uh, introduce yourself and a little bit about who you are and what you do? Okay, great. So uh, again, I'm Hillary Reddick, and I've been vegan, which I think is probably the data point of most interest to the audience for about, I think at this point, about 17 years. Um, I actually became vegan at one of the animal rights conferences pretty much a moment after watching Peaceable Kingdom. I am a native New Yorker. Uh, now I live in uh, Kalamazoo, Michigan, and I founded or co-founded Vegan Kalamazoo, one of the first vegan groups in this area. That was five years ago, and I'm happy to say now there are a lot more groups. I also do writing. Uh, Lifelong Activist was published by Lantern Books, which I think a lot of your audience is going to know. They do a lot of vegan books. And I also uh, do work in productivity and time management and effectiveness, all from an empowerment perspective. So my other book is called The Seven Secrets of the Prolific, and I'm currently working on a book on joyful productivity for undergraduates. Uh, which should be out in 2019, and all about, you know, basically em empowering yourself to be productive mm -hmm. and effective. So let's, let's start there, because I am a productivity junkie, which is to say mm -hmm. I could waste my entire life reading books and blogs on productivity. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, I get the irony. Uh, but, mm -hmm. but I don't hear that approach about empowerment. I hear it. I hear be productive in terms of efficiency, be productive in terms of ambition, in terms of success. How is empowerment a different flavor? Well, I think the reason is the reason that I wrote this particular book is because I do come out of a political, political activism background. And so I look at 
you know, people who are underproductive, who are procrastinating perfectionists, uh, they're clearly disempowered. And they, they have skills, they have talents, they have focus, they have energies that they are not able to use in the service of their important projects. And the proof, I should also point out that uh, one of my specialties was teaching writing productivity. And I taught that for many years in Boston at Grub Street Writers, which is one of the premier community writing programs. And I've taught it online uh, at, you know, many places. So, you know, and one of the things I would do is people would come to my class and there would be, let's say, 15 people in the class. And they're all self-described blocked people. Otherwise, they would not be in the class. And, you know, the first exercise we do gets them writing. All right. I can get them writing for five minutes, 10 minutes, 15 minutes, like writing feverishly. And that's the proof that, you know, people who are underproductive always think they're missing something. You know, why am I so lazy? Why am I uncommitted? Why am I undisciplined? Blah, 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 blah. And of course, often they've been given that message, which is unfortunate. But the truth is, you know, nobody is really blocked at everything. All right. And plenty of people who are having trouble finishing their novel or finishing their thesis or starting their business or, you know, moving on their fitness plan, they are dynamos in many other areas of their lives. And that's the proof. You know, they're actually, even in many cases, the go-to person for many other people, hmm. which is not accidental because it's a sign of overgiving in many cases, and we, you know, which will impact your ability to do your, you know, get your own stuff done. But that's like proof that they're not like terminally lacking you know, in energy or focus or ambition or discipline, et cetera. So, you know, again, this idea of disempowerment, you're not missing anything, but you are blocked from or constraining or constrained from using that which you have. And my approach is all about helping people understand that, recognizing the disempowering forces in their work and their context and remedying that. Hmm. I mean, what I suddenly started feeling when you when you were talking about that is just like I can be angry at, you know, systems of political oppression um, mm -hmm. that are disempowering. Like I just got angry at my bad habits, like in the same way, like how dare how dare you keep me from, you know, expressing what I'm here to express. Right. Well, so you're actually you're actually like homing right in on one of the essential things. So what you have to understand is that, you know, your inner procrastinator is not your enemy. Okay. The inner procrastinator actually is an attempt to fight the other oppressors. This is a little complicated because like I said, I usually like when I teach like a, like a three hour class, this comes out an hour two and you just like you just like ran right to it. Oh, well, but, feel, you know, feel free to feel free to take me down the, uh, you know, okay. the slow path. OK, so let's try that. So people procrastination is always caused and our causes are always reasonable, always rational. It's just that procrastination is a suboptimal response. And if I could say that 20 times right now, I would. Because, and I've done, this, I've done this work for, you know, almost 20 years. I've worked with thousands of people in classes, you know, coaching, et cetera. And I can say it again. Procrastination is always caused. Our causes are always rational, reasonable. 
The only problem is that procrastination is a suboptimal response. It's also okay to procrastinate like some fraction of the time. It's not a character flaw. It's not a sin. It's just a suboptimal response. Okay. okay. So if you tell me, or, or, yeah, go ahead. So I just wanted to um, get your definition of procrastination out into the conversation because it's it's so elegant. So if you could sh share okay. that before we before we dive into the the solution. Okay, great. Thank you. So procrastination is when you do something other than what you had planned to do, or put another way, when you get derailed from the path or plan you had intended to follow for the day. So most people have a have a plan and you know it might be written down on a calendar or a day timer or it might just be in their head. And procrastination is when you do something else. And there are different flavors of it. Right. Now, when we look at the reasons that people get derailed, uh, you know, I mean, there's actually hundreds of them, you know, and they, they have everything to do with your body, your physical health. A lot of procrastination begins in the body. Um, you know, your, your mental health, um, I, you know, geopolitical, what I call geopolitical stress is a huge factor. Now everyone's having trouble doing their work because of the political situation. It's been that way for a couple of years. Um, problems with the project, don't understand it, not supported enough, ambivalent about it. Um, you know, problems, you know, with, uh, you know, prior, you know, prior traumatic failures or traumatic rejections. I mean, so if you come to me and you tell me, you know, this is why I don't feel like doing my work. I mean, I'm going to say that just totally makes sense. Even if you give me a reason that most people would consider frivolous, like I just need downtime or it's a nice day out. I want to be outside after, you know, it's not been so nice or I'm in love. I want to hang out with my lover. I mean, we're human. And those, those things seem very good and healthy to me to want to be outside, connected with nature, be with one's lover, et cetera. Mm -hmm. And again, once, once in a while, it's not a bad thing to do, but obviously if procrastination is your go-to response for, for all these kinds of obstacles and triggers, that's when there's a problem. Right. And one of the things I love about your, your writing is that at the same time, I felt like every, you know, all these different chapters, you're giving me permission in certain ways that I didn't feel like I had to, mm -hmm. you know, and, and I can go into some, you know, specific examples, but at the same time, you're also holding my feet to the fire. And I'm, well, cu I'm curious about that, that dynamic. Cause I felt that sort of, you know, a, a push and a pull around getting yeah. me to, to be much saner about my, my life and my work habits. Well, I, I want people, and I think it's appropriate. I mean, I think it's, uh, you know, I, again, I mean, you want, we want, I want good people to be productive. I want to help good people be productive. That's my mission. Now, let me go back to your question about, you know, why you shouldn't be angry at, you know, your inner procrastinator. And the reason is, is because there's procrastination, even though it happens in a flash, it's actually a multi-step process. And here are the steps. Okay, so the first thing is, we encounter an obstacle and like the ones I mentioned earlier, you could have a disturbing phone call or you could be like under overwhelmed by your project or under supported or ambivalent or something else. Many of the, any one of those other hundreds of things happen and, or you're working on it and you don't know what to do next. You're sort of stuck. Now a, an empowered productive person is going to encounter that barrier. First of all, they encounter fewer barriers because as they encounter barriers, they deal with them definitively. 
for example, by saying, okay, no more phone calls until I'm done with my work. So they encounter fewer barriers, but when they encounter a barrier, this is how they respond. They say, oh, this is really interesting. I'm having trouble doing my work and this is bothering me. And let me deal with that so that it doesn't happen again. And no shame, no blame, no guilt, no, you know, just right to, right to sort of neutral problem solving. That's what the more productive people do. Mm. What an underproductive person does is what I call the disempowerment cascade. And here's what happens. They encounter the same obstacle. And then the very next thing they think is, uh-oh, I may fail. And then the very next thing they do after that is panic. And the reason they panic is because they are perfectionist and perfectionism is a big topic that, you know, I'm sure we'll talk some about, but, you know, we could talk about it for days, but it basically creates this all or nothing, now or never, do or die, hyper-pressure. You can hear my voice. It's getting more intense. And so even the idea of failure, also an over-identification with the work. So the idea of failure is, is really just intolerable. It's not, you know, it's, it's not simply that, the, you know, the work isn't going to work. It's that I'm going to be a huge failure. Right. So they, and you, so you, they, you, you talk again, about... They encounter the obstacle. They have that... Yeah. Yeah. So you, t you talk about having the courage to fail, Right. Right. So we can talk about that. That is really, and when I wrote about that, that wasn't super common. And that's a quote from uh, Gary Kasparov. So we can talk about that. One of my heroes. But so you have the pre, you know, you have the encounter, the obstacle, which we do basically every moment of the day, there are potential obstacles. We have a presentiment of failure. We have absolute panic at the idea of failing. And then the very next step is a coercive attempt to self-correct because perfectionism only has one tool and it's like harshness and self-abuse. And so that's when you start to have that inner monologue, which is what's wrong with you. Get to work. This is easy. You better do it. You've spent all this money. Everybody's counting on you. Don't let the animals down. Da -da 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 -da. And you know, just all of that. Now, what happens, what you're doing at this point is you're coercing, bullying, badgering, shouldn't use the word badgering, but uh, shouldn't use animals as a pejorative, <laughs> but you're coercing and bullying, you know, you're a part of yourself, your creative self that's already freaked out and scared. And so that's not going to work. I mean, when somebody's scared, you don't just like bully them and expect to have a good result. And that is when your inner procrastinator pops up and says, this situation is intolerable. You know, you're being unreasonable, meaning to the, to the perfectionist and we're out of here. Screw this. I'm going to go out and play or screw this. I'm going to work on something else. So you're in a per procrastinator. And part of the problem is that through this whole thing, you're regressed. So the procrastinator really doesn't really have great solutions all that, you know, all they can say is screw you perfectionist. We're out of here. Your inner procrastinator is actually trying to protect your inner creative core from the abuse and also has a strong sense of social justice, the way many young people do. And then basically that's it. You escape from this intolerable situation through perfectionism. I call this the disempowerment cascade and it can happen in a flash. It can happen the minute you start your work or even before. 
Wow. What what I'm getting from all this is like this this cast of characters kind of is a a microcosm of the work you're trying, like the world you're trying to fix, right? We have, you know, victims, we have abusers, we have uh, witnesses, witnesses, yes. we have rescuers, like in, in yes. like, like sounds like procrastination is this, there's this little tyranny that you've, um, you know, interjected into your own psyche. Well, I mean, and I, I can't remember what it is, but I know the firefighter term. I, um, uh, from integrated family systems or something. Um, but here's the thing, who's missing from that scenario? The compassionate and wise adult. And to overcome your procrastination, you know, that's the persona that needs to be introduced because basically everybody else in that scenario is regressed. Your creative core is kind of fragile, not because anybody's weak, but just because creativity is difficult and the culture's hostile. The perfectionist is totally panicked and, you know, wigged out and dysfunctional. Um, the, per- the procrastinator pops up and they're like this, you know, righteous but truculent, you know, teenager who basically has one solution, which is screw you, I'm out of here. The solution lies in reintroducing the compassionate adult who is the one that can say, okay, let's everybody calm down, let's problem solve, let's bring in some new resources you know, let's be kind to ourselves, you know, let's, you know, let's, let's skip all of the drama and just like move on in a compassionate way. Do you think that's also missing from a lot of activism, the compassionate and wise adult? Of course. I mean, you know, there are a few fields where perfectionism is really rampant. And I would say activism is one of them. And arts or arts would be another, and there's obviously an overlap. And, you know, a lot of activists, along with the shame and guilt that a lot of underproductive people feel, you know, activists will add a whole layer of moral shame and moral, you know, like, you know, the animals need me. You know, perfectionism is all, all about, in uh, my book and my later work, I, you know, I, uh, and people can find this on my website on com. you know, I list something like 20 characteristics of perfectionism. Some, you know, short-sightedness, uh, over-focus on product versus project, uh, product versus process, narrow definition of success, et cetera, et cetera. And grandiosity, you know, wanting to, you know, do more than any person can, can real, realistically do. And activists are prone to a lot of those in part because they care so much. And again, the problems that we're trying to address are real and they're severe, uh, you know, so of course, like, you know, you wouldn't blame anyone who, who takes these things really seriously. The problem is if your seriousness shades into perfectionism, which it will, because the culture itself is seriously perfectionist and we're all swimming in an ocean of perfectionism. But if you, if you, if you like cross that line into perfectionism, you know, you're going to wind up being less effective than you would be. Hmm. But feeling, you know, all the urgency. Wow, I really, I really feel like you're um, that, that Roberta Flack songs singing my life with with your words. <laughs> Thank you. Like there's Thank this. You. I can, you know, I was just, I was in a, like a very low mood the other night, you know, before bed, and I was like talking to my wife about, like, I don't understand, like, I'm, I, 
this stuff matters so much to me. And yet, like, you know, I've had a day where I hadn't gotten very much done. Like, and you know, yeah. you have, you have a, you have a day listed in the book, like an example of like, I woke up, I was a little tired. I called, made some calls. It was at 11. I started working. I, yeah, I had lunch. I had a huge lunch. I, like, I'm looking at that going, oh God, I have days like that. What's, you know, I guess, I guess I haven't really found the thing that I'm meant to do. Like that was my, that was my interpretation. My wife was like, look, either get up and journal about it or sit up or go to sleep, but like, you're in a mood. But, but like yeah. I was, I was, I could feel the narrative that I was creating for myself that was, it was kind of, it was kind of explaining everything. Right. Mm -hmm. <laughs> As opposed to right. what, what you're, you're saying is like, here's, a, here's a, uh, you know, you, you've just been following this recipe for procrastination and lack of productivity. And all you have to do is like, just get a new recipe. Yeah, I think that's true. In fact, the hardest thing I have to teach people. So first of all, I have days like that too. I, I have days like that regularly where I'm just like scattered and I'm not getting much done. But the thing that I know, I know deep in my bones, Howard, and the hardest thing that I have to do is to get others to understand is that perfectionism is always a dead end. It is always a dead end. I know it's easy for me because I do this all the time. I know when I'm having a bad day, I could easily dump on myself. I could easily, I could eat, dump on myself all day, you know, and criticize myself and like whip myself and talk about it, all the animals, the beings I'm letting down, blah, 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 blah. I know never to go there, never to go there because it never helps. It only disempowers us further. Perfectionism is always a dead end. I don't go there at all. And it's the hardest thing because again, the whole society is really perfectionist. All of our media is really perfectionist. You know, all these things, I mean, you're involved, I think, with a lot of like the, you know, like health and wellness kinds of stuff, right? Right, right. So the before and after, the, the you know, the like, you know, no pain, no gain. I mean, these are all, you know, you know, these stories of unlikely, you know, you know, successes. These are all perfectionist messages. And you know, the valorization of suffering, you know, I should be like, you know, I should be willing to like, you know, suffer for my cause, all of these things. It really, if you look at who a lot of activists suffer because they don't study, they don't really, they're not professional enough in the sense that they don't study what works and what doesn't work. They're acting from their gut. But if you look at it, we have wonderful models in the animal activism movement and in other movements. If you look at the people who are really creating change, you know, and it's like the, um, the epigram for uh, the lifelong activist. You know, I wrote this 400-page book, and then I found one line from Flaubert, right? Flaubert said, you know, live your life regular and orderly like a bourgeois so you may be wild and original in your work. Huh. You know, so if you look at the activists who are really creating change, you know, in many cases, you know, they are not the ones, they, their lives look like ordinary, boring. And I mean, there are other quotes, you know, from writing and the arts and all that. The people who really tend to get the most done 
are the ones, you know, we love the dramatic stories, but the ones who get the most done are the ones who are actually from the outside. They're just kind of putting in their time, and from the outside, they look kind of boring. But, again, perfectionism, self-criticism, self-harshness, lack of understanding, always a dead end. Mm. Well, and, that, and, and I teach that to people oh. around their health and diet and lifestyle habits, Right. So mm-hmm. I should get I should get it. Right. If I have, yeah. right, I tell people that you know, be, beating yourself up is just feeding the cycle. Right. It's I think I think the difference is that that's like my core message. I mean, I'm able to do I mean, this is basically I talk about that specific message all day and all night long. And I write about that message and it and it just shows you how counterintuitive it is in this society. No pain, no gain. I mean, you know, and shows you how, how, uh, you know, and, and that's, I think, what makes it hard to hang into it, hang on to it. What I do know is that when people finally give up slash surrender slash are tired of feeling, you know, sick and miserable and under the sun and all of that stuff, and they say, you know what, I don't care how much, you know, I feel I'm like letting myself down. I'm just never, I'm just not going to feel miserable about it anymore. That's the turning point. That's when, that's when things can really change for them. Right. Because see, what I see with people that I'm working with is that they feel like the negativity is their only, um, yeah. you know, is the only fence keeping them from falling, you know, into the canyon. Deeper. Right. That if they, if they yeah. don't beat themselves up, if they don't criticize themselves for past failure, right, if there's no there's no deterrence. If, if they say, yeah. oh, well, well, I'm going to try again and I'm going to do it better next time. That letting go of self-judgment and self-punishment feels terrifying. And yeah. and I've never connected that message that I give to other people on a regular basis with what you've just told me about you know, that I'm, I'm applying to myself, that that's exactly, you know, how I will motivate myself. Like I'll look at people that I perceive as being far more productive than me and, uh-huh. and, you know, sort of like want to get a whip to make myself run as fast as they do. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, there are a bunch of, and look, you know what, if those punishments worked, Leaving aside, first of all, they're immoral. You know, they're inhumane, and punishment is an inhumane, in, immoral way to like live your life, or you know, you know, get others to live the life you want them to live. But let's face it: if that worked, we would all be super achievers. <laughs> there, there are so many reasons why that doesn't work. Leaving aside the immorality, right? I mean, you know, it's it. One of them is that we become habituated to punishment, you know? And so the very, you know, like the first time you tell yourself, you know, don't be lazy, do X, Y, Z, you know, or the first time someone else says that to you, it's horrible. And, you know, you feel, you know, and you might be motivated to do it. But then the 10th time or the 20th time, you're like, screw you, I'm not going to do it. I don't care anymore. We become habituated to punishment and we become alienated from punishers including if those punishers happen to reside within us. And by the way, just like I hear this all the time, just like 
you would never, you know, tell one of your clients or anyone you loved, get your act together, blah, 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 blah. I mean, <laughs> the people listening to this, we wouldn't, you know, we wouldn't even talk to our dogs like that, right? And by the way, dogs are a great model for what I'm talking about. But, you know, if you wouldn't tell it to someone else, don't tell it to yourself. And if it worked, we'd all be like super productive, but it doesn't. Okay, so I'm, I'm looking back at this at the steps of the um, what what did you the cascade you call it? Yeah, the disempowerment cascade. Disempowerment cascade. Um, so you have um, a three step model for or three three steps to not procrastinate that are very concrete and specific. And they're they're not emotionally laden. Is can you find that people can just apply those and erase the emotional over you know underpinnings or overlay of of their dis, of their um, procrastination? Or do we need do we need to you know shrink ourselves a little bit? Do we do we need to get psychological in order to um, you know to get leverage yeah. to intervene? So, uh, first of all, I don't even remember what those are. I wrote the book a while back, and I've been uh, writing other stuff. Well, since, so I don't remember what exact. What are those three steps? Let me see if let me see if I can remember because they seemed really, really important, and I don't have it open in front of me. It was um, was it showing start, up on time? Start, yeah, show up on time. Start immediately. Work for at least an hour. Yeah, let, let's change that. I think I, I I can we can do even better than that. So first of all. Yes, I've had a lot of therapy. I needed a lot of therapy, and I had a lot of therapy. <laughs> and, you know, I think you one needs to be aware of one's motivations and, you know, one's patterns that may not be helpful and may interfere with the ability to change. So, yeah, you do need that. The work I do is a really good complement to therapy because a lot of therapists don't really understand about empower, you know, you know, productivity in general and empowerment work in general. So a lot of people come to me, you know, who also have therapists, you know, because they want to take this next step and actually, you know, get more empowered. Again, on my website, I have a lot of uh, solutions to procrastination and perfectionism. Um, you know, eventually, you know, the, you know, the root problem really is the perfectionism because, Again, the procrastination is evolved in uh, reaction to that. It's the per perfectionism that triggers the procrastination, you know, because that's what you're escaping from. In terms of exercises and solutions, you know, you have to, uh, you know, I would say the core solution is to work in intervals. So literally get a timer. If there's something you're having trouble doing, get a timer and set it for a minute, set it for three minutes, five minutes, 10 minutes, whatever interval you can easily complete. And then, you know, you do your work during that interval. And, you know, there are other systems that, that recommend, for instance, a 25 minute interval. I won't mention any names, but, and you know, that's way too long for someone who's like perfectionistically, I don't, by the way, talk about fear of failure. I talk about terror of failure huh. because procrast a lot of perfectionists, they over-identify with their uh, projects, and so the idea of failing is actually a kind of ego demolition. So you start your timer at like one minute, five minutes, ten minutes, whatever. 
you know, your inner perfectionist is going to say something like, five minutes, that's ridiculous, you're never going to get anything done, what a weakling, what a self-indulgent, blah, blah, blah. That's how you know you're doing it right. Because you never, you never, you, you listen and respect your inner perfectionism, but you don't really give them a lot of credence. The goal of the minute, the, the timed interval, is simply to put in your time. It's all about process and to stay, you know, calm and, you know, immersed and, you know, and, and in process and just put in your time. Mm-hmm. We don't really care about the product. We just care about, you know, that you develop this ability to just sort of immerse yourself in the process. So, that, and, you know, then when you're able to work, you know, pretty reliably for five minutes, you can do seven minutes, you can do 10 minutes, you know, you can build it up. Your, your inner perfectionist, of course, is going to want to rush that. So you have to be vigilant. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then, you, you know, there's, there's things you can do with language. You know, you, have, you really do have to watch your language and how you refer to things and how you label things. You know, that's, that's something else, um, you know, that you can, know that you can also, uh, you know, work on to, to overcome your inner perfectionist. Can you give an and, example? Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, a lot of people just routinely refer to themselves as, you know, I hate to even use the words, but lazy or stupid or slacking or uncommitted, you know, and, and all, or even hyperbole, you know, like I've got a million things to do this weekend, you know, you know, my, uh, my workout is a beast, whatever. I mean, that language is not helpful. I'm from uh, New York and I love my hyperbole, but I had to let it go. Um, New Yorker people may know, some people may know Fran Lebowitz, who is a writer, uh, from New York, who was actually unfortunately became more famous. She was a she was a humorist, and she became more famous for her writer block, her writer block, than uh, actually her writing. After a certain point, she just you know for decades couldn't get anything done. She used to refer to her inner critic as a quote unquote Nazi general. So that's like classically unhelpful phrasing, right? It only increases your fear. So you know, perfectionists use a lot of labeling. They use a lot of hyperbole. You know, you know, like, oh, this thing I just did is garbage. Don't say stuff like that. Say what went right and what went wrong. And then also to go back to a point you raised earlier, you know, the fear that perfectionists have, as you pointed out, a deep terror of letting themselves off easily. And let me just say, all these things we're talking about, they afflict the best people. They afflict the people who care who care about themselves, care about quality, care about the planet, care about the people around them, the non-humans, et cetera, that, you know, they want to make a difference. And it's the caring that kind of gets them into trouble because it's hard to, it's hard to care and, and yet, you know, maintain your effectiveness when the, you know, when the things you care about are so intense. Yeah. So let me me tell you part of my, you know, meltdown the other night was actually saying, um, you know, like my family on my mother's side were were all, um, you know, re- refugees from Nazi Germany, from Austria, from Eastern Europe, from the Holocaust. And mm-hmm. so like that is like ingrained in me. Like that's that's kind of like one of the ways through which I see the world. So I, mm-hmm. I like I'd had this really unproductive day. And, you know, here I am, I'm trying to help people like change their diets, which to me is like fundamental in yeah. in healing the world. 
And I was saying to my wife, like, what does it say? Like, I'm afraid, like, you know, my grandchildren are going to be like, what did you do when, you know, the world was being destroyed by animal agriculture? Mm -hmm. And I'm like, oh, like that was that was my um, my litmus test for whether whether I had a good day today or not was how I was going to be judged, you know, in 40 years because I didn't save the planet. And so I'm hearing like the grandiosity and the pressure I'm putting my on yeah. myself. Um, yeah, and it's so sad because you're one of the people working to save the planet. <laughs> I mean, we could we could have this talk. I mean, we should have this talk about you know. To me, it seems like you're in the right place doing the right stuff. The grandiosity may be this idea that you should be working at maximum capacity like all the time and maximum effectiveness every single moment of the day. And the analogy is like robots, except even robots don't do that. So, you know, we could have that discussion. By the way, I mean, actual like Nazis to me, you know, that's a really good reason to be distracted from one's work. So that's one of the better reasons. So we could we could go into that. Yeah. We could go into that. But uh, I forgot where I was a moment ago. Hmm. Um, well, I, told, I told you this was going to turn into a therapy session. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, it's fine. It's just, um, yeah, I was just talking. I mean, let me just say, I mean, a lot of people, a lot of really, like, famous, you know, I work with a lot of writers. So a lot of, like, really famous writers who normally – don't have much trouble producing their work have like come out publicly in the last couple of years that they've had more trouble writing than ever before, mm. you know, because of the political situation, you know, because of Trump and, you know, some people have described it like it's like a low grade flu. It's just bringing everybody down and it might even be literally like a flu. So, you know, productivity is harder. One of my writer friends described like she felt like she was writing, trying to write her book in the middle of the battle for Hogwarts. Yeah. Hogwarts. Yeah. You know, so, you know, I mean, our reasons are always valid. Your reasons are too. We need to get, you know, I think, uh, I think whenever you have a rhetorical question, like what were you doing, you know, when animal agriculture was burning down the, the planet, you should answer it. I'm not, you know, Obviously, you're measuring, you know, a lot of people have in their heads, they have kind of a platonic ideal. This is very perfectionist. They have a platonic ideal in their heads of how they think they should behave and what they should be doing that they are constantly comparing themselves to all day long and <laughs> constantly falling short and constantly beating themselves up for. And that could be an animal activist. It could be a writer. It could be like, a, you know, uh, an immigrant child and, you know, first generation college student who feels obligated, you know, because they've had these opportunities, their ancestors didn't. And, you know, that stuff has to be let go. You just have to just focus, you know, often it's a, it's idealized by definition, it's kind of grandiose and unhelpful, but also daily comparisons that you're destined to fall short of not useful. Mm. So how do we let go of those? I think, you know, I think uh, you do your therapy. I do recommend one. Okay. So one technique that's really useful is to dialogue with your inner perfectionist. 
one of the things one of the things that's really slippery of perfectionism is that its general objections, its general objectives are mostly on target. Your inner perfectionist wants you to do good work, do it on time, do lots of it. So that in, to that extent, it's right. But then it takes the next step and it says, you should do all this stuff every night. You should do all of this every day. You should be out on the barricades. You should do this and that and that. And if you don't, you're X, Y, Z. That's where it screws up. So when you feel, so you do your intervals, you know, your work intervals, like I'm saying. And then, you know, when you feel that inner perfection is coming up, either because you, you know, because you're somehow you're disappointing yourself, a really good technique is to just dialogue with it. You know, grab a piece of paper, open up another window and have a discussion with it. But you just, you, it's regressed. So when you discuss, and I have examples of this on my website and also in like my more recent books, when you have the discussion, you know, you don't let it abuse you. you you're basically the adult talking with a panicked, regressed person. So just like you wouldn't let a kid say, you suck, you're, you know, just like you wouldn't put up with that. You'd say, you know, be polite, you know, <laughs> let's, let's have a civil conversation. Don't accept it from your inner perfectionist. At the same time, you can tell your inner perfectionist, you know what, this part of what you're saying makes sense. You're right. I'm with you. We really do want to be as effective as possible. You know, I really do want to boost my productivity. You're absolutely right. Part of the reason the perfectionist keeps coming back is because not only do we not deal with it, we keep shutting it down and it just makes it angry, right? But if you can say, look, you know, I agree with these goals. Let's work on them together, but no abuse, no unreasonableness. You can actually, you know, you know and let's say you do your like five minute interval and your, your inner perfectionist is like, Five minutes is nothing, but we should be doing three hours, blah, blah, blah. And you can say, well, isn't five minutes like way better than like not doing it at all? And literally your inner perfectionist will go, I guess so. (laughs) And you can actually have that discussion, talk it down. Eventually it'll go away. And when it goes away, it it takes for the most part the, the the procrastinator with it. Huh. So, and again, there's a lot of information, but I do have a lot of detail on the website. So you can read about this in more detail. Okay, great. So one, one of the other things that I wanted to um, explore with you is, like the, the, I mentioned that there's parts of the book where I felt like you were giving me permission. Um, and mm-hmm. so one, one of them is, like you, you said, you start chapter, chapter five of part two. I'm about to tell you something extremely subversive. A lot of people do too much housework. Yeah. And I, yeah. I, I, I don't feel like I'm one of them, but I still like smiled and felt like a wave of relaxation go through my body when I, uh, when I heard that. So what, yeah. what, how, how, how does knowing that help? Well, this brings us, and I'm glad you raised this, because now we're talking about time management. And let me bring something a little tangential to that and into the conversation, and then we can bring go back to that. All right. And the other thing is uh, activism and social change are ecosystems with a lot of niches. 
And we need everybody in all the niches. So some people are good at writing. Some people are good at accounting. Some people don't mind like getting in a table or holding up a sign and, you know, making, uh, you know, a public, you know, a public demonstration. Some people are great interviewers. All right. So, you know, the other way to be effective besides overcoming the perfectionism is make sure you're doing the act, the kind of activism you really want to do, you know, with the people you really want to do it with. And that's sort of shorthand for saying with effective, you know, people who are focused on, you know, outcomes and, you know, not being very dramatic and all the rest of it. Okay. So that's like the other half of the equation is to make sure you're doing what you want to do. If you're doing people burn out because they're either doing stuff they don't want to be doing or they don't think, you know, they don't see the yield from it. You know, if you, if you fix those two problems, then, you know, it's not like you won't need to do plenty of self care or you won't need to take a sabbatical once in a while, but generally speaking, you'll have a much better time, get much better stuff done and you will be a, a lifelong activist. You'll be able to sustain it. And, you know, one thing that's not discussed enough is that activism is actually a lovely way to live. It gives you purpose. It puts you in touch with the right people, the right non-humans who are wonderful, all of that uh, brought in, you know, your life and experience and existence. It's a lovely way to live, lovely way to be. Now, about stuff like housekeeping and stuff, you know, it's pretty simple. We don't have a lot of time. I mean, we don't have, you know... you know, if you sleep uh, seven hours a night, you're awake um, 119 hours a week. You know, if, you, if people have a 40-hour job and a commute, that's almost half of that time right then and there. And the rest, and then all the rest of the time is where you're, is where you're supposed to do your relationships, your spirituality, your health and fitness, which is, you know, you know, you're like, you published a blog post I liked quite a bit about how Moderation is not the answer. Extremism is. Remember that one? Um, vaguely. <laughs> yes. Now I'm quoting your stuff to you. Yeah, yeah you right. said you got to be extreme, and I totally agree with that. But that takes time. Extreme, you know, to be, you know, half, you know, halfway solutions don't get us very far. Um, you know, I've done a calculation. Like basically, the difference between being somebody pretty healthy and fit, I don't know if you'll agree, but and not healthy and fit is roughly at least 20 hours a week, and often more like 30. You know, by the time you exercise, think about your food choices, you know, prepare the right food, et cetera. You know, that's as opposed to just basically just sitting on the couch and, you know, eating fast food. That almost takes no time. Anyway, we don't have much time right. and existentially, but also in terms of getting our stuff done and living a life of uh, purpose and wholeness and connection. And so you really have to, and we don't have even more valuable than time, I think, is our headspace, you know, like, you know, what we, what we pay attention to and what we don't and our cognitive load, they call it and all the rest of it. So good time managers, you, you know, you want to be pretty ruthless with your time and not overgive and, and really manage, you know, bring down all the stuff that you're doing just out of obligation or, you know, because you have to work convention, you want to bring that down as close to zero as you possibly can, you know, because there's, there's plenty of other things to do and your life will be happier. The more of those you do, as opposed to the things you do just out of obligation. Right. So it's, I mean, it sounds like you're kind of turning activism on its head for 
in terms of like the public perception of what an activist does in terms of you've got to do hard work, you've got to be fighting all the time, you have to sacrifice. And I know, you know, you start out the book by um, using the example of Gloria Steinem, who, you know, lived on yeah. airplanes and kind of didn't have a, a life. And, uh, you know, I, you know, a lot of a lot of people, you know, I think about like Nelson Mandela and others who kind of did sacrifice themselves and their family members in huge ways. But when, when you talk about this ecosystem, uh, you, you know, you mentioned like not everyone is going to be a super activist, that we that, that activism is actually a really pleasurable way of life. And I'm thinking also of the of the of my students and clients who aren't, you know, activists with a capital A or wouldn't think of themselves as such, except they're, you know, getting healthy, losing weight, changing the way they eat and representing this possibility of a better way to their friends, to their families, to their coworkers. And mm -hmm. and they're not they're not thinking of themselves as professional activists, but they're like they're actually following something of a path of least resistance. Like this is kind of fun. Well, I absolutely think if you live to live a life of your own values and integrity in a society that really pressures you not to do that is definitely a worthwhile, I mean, important and an activist kind of endeavor. I mean, exactly what you're describing. Um, you know, activism in some ways gets a bad rap and it's partly, that's not an accident. I mean, that's, you know, particularly the right wing spends a lot of time demonizing activists. So, you know, they, I mean, they, you know, they call them tree, you know, previous generations call them tree huggers. You know, these days they're always talking about social justice warriors. Like that's somehow a bad thing to be a warrior on behalf of social justice. People, you know, I, I like I like the term activist. I sometimes use the word organizer because um, that gets really specific into like a lot of. Well, obviously, I'm also an author, but yeah, I think if somebody's living their values, you know, and their and their values reflect health and connection and community, and I think uh, I think that's that's wonderful, and I think it's important. I do think because of Nazis that we really do need more people. Like I took time off and did a lot of get out the vote work. Um, and I'm glad to say Michigan had a pretty good, re you know, response, you know, in terms of who we elected. I do think that, you know, these, it's incumbent on everybody, even the people who don't feel like it have to get uh, more active in ordinary politics because it's just not enough to just hope that someone else steps up against the Nazis. We all have to step up. So, and I know that's, that's a big ask, but, you know, I think you framed it pretty well. You know, we, uh, you know, what kind of society do we want to be? Do we want to leave behind for our kids, et cetera, et cetera. People do have to step up. And I think as a culture, we've kind of been coasting the last few decades. We've been a very rich culture, rich society. We've been, you know, um, you know, we've had the luxury of ignoring certain things, but I think that luxury has gone away. Yeah. And again, it's way easier. Like for me, maybe it's the New York thing. I love like knocking on strangers' doors and saying, "Hey, don't forget to vote. Who you're going to vote? And I don't say who you're going to vote. I'm not allowed to ask that. But you know, this is why who I think you should vote for. This is why. Blah blah blah. Or and I love getting out on a table at our farmers market and saying. Hey, go vegan. I love that. I, I just dig it. I recognize that not a lot of people love that. But 
So not everybody doesn't need to do that, but everybody does need to do something. And, and if, you know, a lot of people in our society just, just gave like a day a month to anti-fascist political vegan, some kind of community building work, you know, ecological work, um, it would make all the difference. And, and by the way, from a time management standpoint, there is no, no more rewarding activity. I mean, if it weren't for previous generations of activists, you know, we would all be in sweatshops working, you know, seven days a week, you know, 80 hours, you know, maybe even more a week and, you know, no healthcare, no nothing, all the things that make life worth living and make it, make it a, possible for us to to have healthy, productive lives with some modicum of happiness to the extent that we can is because of prior generations of activists. Right. We need to pay it forward. Right. Um, And, you know, one of the things you talk about, I think, relates to this in terms of we can be too comfortable to be to be an activist uh, is the AACL, right? What you call the average American consumerist lifestyle. Yeah. Like, yeah. like actually going out and doing that stuff is kind of a pain in the ass a little bit when, when, you know, I could just sort of sit home and watch Netflix or there's new shows on Amazon Prime or, you know, we're getting into, yeah. um, you know, Black Friday pre cyber sales. Like there's lots of yeah. ways in which um, our culture kind of wants us, you know, not weaned from from the yeah. consumerist teeth so that we actually have to you know go out and be independent activists. Yes. Yeah. And again, when you think about what that and and you know, it feels like a sacrifice, but it's actually a lovely way to live. You know, I think the most important piece of advice, you know, that I could uh share with people is to find their role models. You know, find the artists, find the activists, you know, find the people who you know, maybe they, they've basically figured out how to devote their best energies to their kids, their family, or the local politics, the local community. You know, find the mentors because they're all around you. Um, I know for many, many years I taught business and creative businesses in particular at nonprofits in Boston, you know, how to start and grow a creative business. And every class had several people who were working, you know, a full-time job with a long commute. And they spent their whole weekend, you know, cleaning up, cleaning their houses, and they couldn't, and they were miserable. And they said, I really want to be doing more art, or I want to really start a business. And always in the same class, there were people who had figured out how not to do all of that, and who could devote their best hours, and many of them, to their art. Now, you're not going to be able to do that if you want to live materially the same way somebody would who is basically focused on material possessions. You know, I'm not going to have the same lifestyle as, you know, somebody who, you know, basically wants to have the big house. I don't have the big house. I don't even have a house. Um, You know, I I work 20 hours a week on my vegan group here, Vegan Kalamazoo. None of that's paid. I mean, obviously we take a hit financially, but it's, it's a wonderful, fulfilling, lovely, um, connected, meet the best people, meet the best animals. It's just a fabulous way to live. I, you know, I just, it's a fabulous way to live. Right. And, you know, I, I've never, I have to say, I've never met an activist or an artist for that reason who 
you know, unless there was something else going on in their life, like a divorce or something. I've never met any of anyone who said my life lacks purpose, my life lack, my life lacks meaning, my life lacks aim. And you know, and that's like this gift we give ourselves when we do activism. Plenty of other people are just going through the motions and not sure why they're doing it and don't know how to get get away from that. Right. Well, I think it's the same dynamic that you describe in the perfectionist, you know, actually causes the procrastination. So if we if we're if our life lacks meaning, then we want to fill it with consumerism. Right. The folks I yeah. know who have dropped 100, 200 pounds, they've all done it by rejecting large sections of, you know, the American way of life in terms of, you know, fill your belly with this, fill your mind with this. You know, there's a, there's a wonderful I can't remember the the uh, the the artist. There's a wonderful folk song called Garbage, which you know, mm-hmm. each each verse is, you know, we're we're filling our. Our, our oceans with garbage, we're filling our air with garbage. And the last one is we're filling our minds with garbage. Right. Uh-huh. That's <laughs> totally plausible to me. Yes. Yes. Right. I guess. So, so, I mean, and also, I mean, you know, I don't know how deep we want to get, but, you know, I mean, the political system, the social, the economic system, it really is designed to just kind of keep us, uh, you know, kind of like distracted and complacent and to blame ourselves for our problems when, that's clearly, in many cases, we are being disempowered. I mean, as you know, a lot of the people, you know, who are struggling with weight problems, it's really, you know, a lot of, a lot of like obesity and other, you know, lifestyle kind of maladies, they're, they're, they correlate with class. Poor people suffer worse. And so, you know, it, if it's correlated with class, it can't be all about their choices. Right. And there's and there's where we started the conversation. um, I think there's a need for sort of compassion and balance, because, you know, when as I as I said, like, I'm I'm now angry at the inner forces that are that are disempowering me. Like, it almost feels weird to be focusing on the outer forces when I there's, you know, there's things I can do about my own habits and activities in the moment. And so right. it's like, right, there's a balance between taking responsibility and still acknowledging that there's, you know, environmental and ecological constraints. No, there isn't. Don't worry about it. <laughs> Look, the part of you that's mad is the perfectionist part. Let me make this. No, you know, perfectionism is always a dead end. Perfectionism is short-sighted. It's impatient. Okay. It's punishment. All right. It really is about acceptance in the moment. And you know what? You know, we're not, you know, it's not about measuring ourselves against our ideal or what we could possibly do, you know, or what we've done in the past and we're hoping to, to replicate. You know, it's not about comparisons. It's not this or that. It's basically about being in the moment and like doing the best we can within that moment but never punishing ourselves. Okay. So the part of you that's like impatient, impatient is perfectionist. You know, you know, it's, right. and, and it is, it's always a dead end, Howard, always. Okay. So and let me, again, let me, I let me try it. to, let me try to say it yeah. again. Cause there were, there, I think there was something else I was trying to get to. So um, okay. I appreciate you, you know, sort of helping me notice the language that's, that's part of the issue. So what I was trying to get at was, 
for me to, there's ways in which I feel disempowered by society. And, mm -hmm. and I have very little to complain about as, you know, cis white male, right? With the, mm -hmm. with a Ivy League education. So when I'm, when I'm thinking about like where disempowerment comes from, it's, it's both true that we disempower ourselves and that there are social forces, ecological forces that disempower us as well. And it feels important to not to address what we can do, you know, cultivating our own gardens without turning it into victim blaming. Without then then right. saying that you know because because there's thing because I have room to maneuver in ways that society doesn't affect that I'm only going to focus on that and and pretend that there aren't these external constraints. Am I making any sense? Yeah, except I think that it's all. I think the internal forces are caused by the external ones. Okay. So, you know, I think that if we were raised in a, you know, you know, if we were raised in a society that was not perfectionist and where people were raised to achieve their, you know, maximum potential, you know, and I should also say when I say productivity, I'm always talking about somebody working up to the level that they find fulfilling and satisfying. So I'm not talking about like five hours of activism a day or a hundred pages of writing a week or whatever. I'm just talking about working to their natural capacity, which changes, but yeah, the, you know, it's always caused and the cause is always outside ourselves. Sometimes it's in the work itself and sometimes it's in our history. So I do think, and you know, I should be very honest as well. And I should say that uh, I'm, I think I'm somebody who, you know, finally, you know, I'm, I'm about to turn 60 it took me a long time, but I feel like I've, you know, finally gotten my act together in a lot of ways and I'm in a position where I can help a lot of people, but I myself struggle with weight. I come from a very addictive family. You know, my dad, you know, weighed over 400 pounds for much of his life, although he uh, did manage to lose it um, by going vegan at the time, although nobody ever called it vegan back then. Mm. And, but I do, you know, like, I feel like, you know, weight and fitness is truly my last frontier, something I, I work on and I do struggle with. So I may not be the best person to comment on that, um, you know, from that perspective. But I do know from the stuff that I know about, which is, which is activism, art, arts, living a fulfilling life, relationships, that mission, that worrying about what you're missing on the inside always comes back to perfectionism and is always a dead end. Focus on the stuff that you, uh, you know, focus on this, focus on your context and changing your context. This is the other thing I write about to support your productivity. You know, one way writers can get like instantly more productive instantly is to, uh, you know, work on a computer that's not hooked up to the internet. Mm -hmm. Now this is something that a lot of professional writers do and that a lot of, you know, people who wish they were more productive think is a radical step, but this is like, you know, pro writing productivity 101. So it's, it's really about, you know, focus on the things you can change. I, you know, I mean, there are people in the world who are, lots of them probably, who are much more successful, much more focused, much more productive than I am. Uh, all I know is that, you know, most of the time I'm pretty happy, you know, except like I said, in the realm, you know, of like weight and fitness, I'm pretty happy 
with what I'm able to do. And I've worked hard to be able to do it. And I recognize that. And I'm proud of myself because it looked like for a long time, like it wasn't pretty clear what my contribution would be. And I'm happy that I found it. Mm. I hope that I hope that made sense. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's, know, it's not. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, it's not, you know, I think your worry was is like another statement of, you know, you, we don't want to be self-indulgent. We don't want to give ourselves a pass. And I don't think, you know, I don't think you have to worry about that. I think the thing to focus on is just, you know, making sure, you know, that you, you change the stuff around you, you know, and to some degree your habits, and I mean your superficial habits, to support your productivity. You know, don't answer, you know, don't take phone calls till you get your writing done for the day, stuff like that. Right. It's very similar to how we help people with, you know, changing their 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 health lifestyles and destiny around, mm -hmm. you know, we're, we're going to start by creating by, by inviting people to create empowering rules for themselves. Mm -hmm. And even even though like the reason we eat chocolate is because of a, you know, a trauma at age three and we still want to deal mm -hmm. with that trauma, we still want to heal it. But we don't need to wait until we heal it to create a rule and start making different choices. Right. Because, the, the, you know, we, we start yeah. wherever we start, there's going to be a ripple effect that's going to uh, touch on touch every every part of this of this issue. Right. And I think actually when, you know, I think that taking those steps is itself empowering, you know, at least, you know, and empowerment is not like a switch you turn on and off. It's actually a, a path or a series of steps. And the cool thing is the more of those steps you take, you know, the more you empower yourself. Empowerment builds on empowerment. So you get somebody to take these like small steps. They seem small. They're really not. Uh, you're empowering them to take bigger ones. Beautiful. Uh... Yeah. So um, for people who want more, you've mentioned your website, HillaryRedig.com, and that's uh, double L and double T in there. Yep. And I'll include a link in the show notes. What, what else do you offer? What else can people get from you? Um, um, thank you for asking. So, you know, I uh, obviously, um, you know, I encourage people to buy my book. I would be very happy if people would do that and, you know, leave reviews on uh, Amazon and iTunes and elsewhere. That's really important for any writer. And you've got um, four, four books in English, right? I, I've, yeah, I think so. I, four sounds about right. <laughs> and uh, But really, and particularly a lot of what we discussed is in my book, uh, The Seven Secrets of the Prolific, you know, which is mainly about writing, but it applies, you know, the principles universal and applies to everything. Also to ask people to join my mailing list and, you know, they'll learn about like my, and they'll get my newsletter with productivity stuff and ongoing stuff like that. Right. Um, I also do offer coaching and I have a fairly lenient sliding scale for people who are either full-time students or doing at least half-time social justice work. So if there's somebody listening to this who is in that situation and who, you know, thinks they could benefit from more of this, they should check out my coaching page, which is hillaryreddick.com slash coaching, and get in touch with me. And like I said, we'll, we'll figure out a way to make it work. Because my mission is to continue to support, you know, people who are themselves trying to help the world and heal the world. Beautiful, beautiful. So, you know, if yeah. and if, if you can't afford coaching, then just start a podcast and invite you on and you can get it for free. <laughs> <laughs> Good. Well, that's a win-win. <laughs>
Yep. I don't I don't know if it was it was worth the hourly to you know to to have 300 episodes just so I could have this but it, you know I probably should have just paid oh but uh <laughs> <laughs> No, no, no. This was like such a pleasure and I learned I learned lots and I feel we're going to continue the dialogue which I'm very excited about. Oh, personally. me me too. So Hillary yeah. Reddick, thank you for the work you do. Thank you so much for for speaking to parts of myself that I now see direction for for healing and empowerment. And um, thanks for taking the time today. Well, Howard Jacobson, thank you for the work you do. Thank you for being open to, to talking with me. And I look forward to working together and all of us together. We build a better world. I'm convinced of it. All right. Right on. All right. Take care. You too. Bye-bye. All right. So was there a suggestion or tactic or strategy or insight that you are going to put to good use in the coming days, weeks, months. I'd love to hear from you. You can post it on the comment section at plantyourself.com below this podcast episode on the show page, or you can do so at the Plant Yourself Facebook page. Sometimes it's easier to have conversations on Facebook. If you enjoyed this episode of the Plant Yourself podcast, which is episode 306, how about that? You can subscribe and leave a review on iTunes if you'd like to help the show out. If you'd like to help us rise in the rankings so more people see us, just leaving a review would be the most awesomest thing you could possibly do. Or you could purchase billboards and advertise the podcast there. That would be cool, too. All right. So for more information about the WellStart Health Program, led by me and Josh Lajani and a bunch of other coaches, visit WellStartHealth.com. For links to everything that Hillary Reddick and I talked about on today's episode, you can check out the show notes, which is plantyourself.com slash 306. And if you'd like more information about Hillary herself, you can check out her website at hillaryrettig.com. That's Hillary with two L's and Rettig with two T's dot com. If you're new to this show, you can catch up on over 300 archived episodes at plantyourself.com. Com. And if you'd like to support the podcast and you've already left a review, what's next? Well, you could become a patron. You could pledge an ongoing monthly amount over at patreon.com. Even a buck uh, gets you access to the special bonuses, the uh, 36 plus healthy habit huddles, which was about a year and a half in the making of some of my best thinking on how to actually adopt healthy habits into your life. You know, we listen to all these great doctors and activists and, and uh, coaches and people with insight and people with transformation stories, but it can be hard to get this stuff into our own lives. So I created the Healthy Habit Huddles series to help with that, and it's available for as little as a dollar a month as a patron to the podcast. So if you want to do that, you can go to patreon.com, search for Plant Yourself, and then sign up to become a supporter. And of course, if you like, I will add your name to the breathless roster that I read at the end of every episode. If you're, if you're new to the show, stay tuned so you'll, you'll hear me do this week's. In garden news, we got a bunch of uh, free fencing material off of uh, nextdoor.com. And so we're looking to make our yard a non-violently rabbit-free and deer-free space where we can grow some of our own food this coming year. In running news, this weekend is the uh, Fat Ass 50K down in Ellerby, North Carolina. It's supposed to be really bone-chillingly cold. So uh, any race photos you see, you may not be able to recognize me because I'll just be bundled up in uh, scarves, balaclavas, goggles, etc. Um, but I'll let you know how that goes next week. 
All right, it's time for gratitude. First of all, I want to express my gratitude to Hillary Reddick for helping me get this episode out on time <laughs> to not procrastinate it, to stay up late on Tuesday night to uh, hit the um, publication schedule that I have self-imposed on a Tuesday release of a podcast. Of course, thanks to WillRidenour.com for the use of his beautiful Sabali Dawn Dance of Peace as this show's theme music. Check out WillRidenour.com for more of his beautiful Cora music. And of course, thanks to all of you Plant Yourself podcast patrons, the people who make this show possible by allowing me to responsibly spend time on this every single week, knowing that there's money coming in to pay the mortgage and the electric bill and all that good stuff. Here you go. Kim Harrison, Lynn McClellan, Anthony Disson, Brittany Porter, Dominic Marrow, Barbara Whitney, Tammy Black, Amy Good, Amanda Hatherley, Mary Jean Wheeler, Ellen Kennelly, Melissa Cobb, Rachel Burns, Christine Nielsen, Tina Sharp, Dina Hare, Jen Folganofsky, David Isaac, The Mysterious, Michelle X, Elspeth Pelton, Victoria Dolanova, Leia Stoller, Alan Christensen, Colleen Peck, Michelle Andrew, Josina, Julianne Rowland, Stu Dolnick, Sarah Durkis, Rhymes with Circus. Kelly Cameron, Wayne Pedersen, Leanne Peterson, Janet Selby, Claire Adams, Tom Franzek, Jeanette Benham, Gila Sert, David Donahue, Blair Cyber, Doron, Avizo, Jillian, Carolyn Argentati, Joji Friesen, Ruth Ann Funderburg, Misha Rosen, Michael Warabeck, The Equally Mysterious, Tracy Z, Alicia Lemus, Rebecca Hughes, Val Lineman, Rhymes with Cinnamon, Nick Harper, Stephanie Holmes, Martha Bergner, Nicole Ramsey, Susan Amon, Molly Levine, The Inscrutable, Harry R., Susan Laverty, The Panda Vegan, Craig Kovic, Adam Sharp, Karen Burry, Heather Morgan, Ashley Corcoran, Kelly Machia, Deanne Norton, Bonnie Lynch, Plant Happy Oregon, Sabina Kurtzels, Nigel Davies, Marion Blum, Teresa Copel, Shell Rudless, Julian Watkins, Bruno O'Connell, Brian Sheridan, Shannon Hirschman, Kate Roll. Linda Ayat, Julie Lang, Holm Hedekard, Isa Tuzan Wak, Connie Hainline, Aaron Greer, Alicia Davis, Aviva Lyle, Heather O'Connor, Callan Jensen, Sherry Orlikoski, and Plant Powered for Health, Karen Smith, Scott Morani, Karen and Joe Crabbeer, Tanya Lewis, Kirby Burton, Teresa Carell, Kevin McCauley, Elizabeth Rothschild, Kelly Baker, Miracle, and Jesse, Cheryl Dwyer, Jenny, Jenny Hazelden, Valerie Pelpier, Peter W. Evans, Colleen Harrison, Justine Divot, Joshua Sommermeyer, Dennis Bird, Darby Kelly, Lori Fanny, Linnea Lundquist, Valerie Hummel, Deb Casilla, Emily Iaconelli, Levy Wallach, Rosamond McAtee, Dan Bacorny, Stephen Leenan, Patty Lee Martino, Mike and Gunder Schmidt, Marjorie Lewis, Kelly Molden, Tricia Adams, Ian Kramer, Nancy Sheldon, Lindsay Bayshore, and Gunn Marit for your generous support of the podcast. That's it for this week. As always, be well, my friends. time for thanks. Thanks to Will Ridenauer for allowing me to use his beautiful song Sabali Don, The Dance of Peace. You can find more of Will's music at his website, willridenauer.com. And of course, thanks to all of you Plant Yourself podcast patrons. Kim Harrison, Lynn McClellan, Anthony Disson, Brittany Porter, Dominic Maurer, Barbara Whitney, Tammy Black, Amy Good, Amanda Hatherley, Mary Jane Wheeler, Ellen Kennelly, Mr. Cobb, Rachel Behrens, Christine Nielsen, Tina Sharp, Tina Ahern, Jennifer Lukanovsky, David Bizek, The Mysterious, Michelle X, Elspeth Feldman, Leia Stoller, Alan Christensen, Colleen Peck, Michelle Landry, Josina, Sarah Durkis, Rhymes of Circus, Kelly Cameron, Wayne Pedersen, Janet Selby, Janet Selby, Janet Selby, hi Janet, Claire Adams, Tom Franzek, Jeanette Benham, Gil David Donahue, Blair Cyber, Dorona Vizov, Gio and Car- Carolyn Argentati, Jody Friesen, Ruth Ann Funderburg, Misha Rosen, Michael Warbeck, the equally mysterious Tracy Z, Aviva L, Alicia Lemus, Rebecca Hughes, Val Lineman, Rhymes with Cinnamon, Nick Harper, Martha Bergner, Susan Ahmad, Nolly Levine, the inscrutable Harry R, Susan Laverty, the Panda Vegan, Craig Kovic, Adam Sharp, Karen Burry, Heather Morgan, Kelly Machia, Deanne Norton, Bonnie Lynch, Plant Happy Oregon, Sabina Kurtzels, Nigel Davies, Marion Blum, Teresa Cobble, Julian Rodkins, Breed O'Connell. 
Shannon Hirschman, Linda Ayat, Holm Hedegaard, Isa Tuzinwa, Connie Hainline, Aaron Greer, Alicia Davis, Heather O'Connor, Carolyn Jensen, Sherry Olakoski of Plant Power for Health, Karen Smith, Scott Marani, Karen Joe Crabtree, Tanya Lewis, Kirby Burton, Teresa Carell, Kevin McCauley, Elizabeth Rothschild, Ann Jesse, Cheryl Dwyer, Jenny Hazleton, Valerie Peltier, Peter W. Evans, Colleen Harrison, Justin Divich, Ashra Summermeyer, Dennis Bird, Darby Kelly, Laurie Fanny, Linnea Lundquist, Valerie Hummel, Emily Iaconelli, Levy Wallach, Rosamund McAtee, Dan Bacorny, Stephen Lehman, Patty DiMartino, Mike and Donna Karts, Dean Bishop, Bill Brielf, Gunter Schmidt, Marjorie Lewis, Kelly Molden, Trish Adams, Ian Kramer, Nancy Sheldon, Lindsay Bayshore, Gunmarie Hagen, Tracy Gulledge, Laura Heaton, Meg from Mama Says, Rochelle Kennedy, Diana Goldman, Stacey Stokes, Ben Savage, Michael Kay, Holly Butler, David Hughes, Connie Rogers, Claire England, Sally Robertson, Parang Ganchi, Amy Daly, Brian Tourville, Mark Jeffrey Johnson, Josie Dempsey, Karen Schmidt, Pamela Hayden, Emily Perryman, Olga Sidorowska, Allison Corbett, Richard Stone, Lauren Vaught of Edible Musings, Aaron Hasty, Sean Owen, Sawyer Nayak, Erica Piedra, Danielle Roberts, Michael Lushton, and Sarah Johnson for your generous support of the podcast. That's it for now. As always, be well, my friends. <laughs>